This episode is sponsored by ByHeart. And I feel like I need to preface what I'm going to say with this. I'm a huge advocate of breastfeeding. Anyone who knows me well knows that nursing is something I believe in. And all five of our biological children were breastfed until they were 19 to 23 months old. However, we also have fostered and adopted, and I've been so grateful for formula companies in those situations. I'm also grateful for formula companies because our last two biological children, I really struggled with my supply and did all the things, spent so much time and effort, and just was never able to produce enough for them to be able to gain weight and not be hungry. And so I was so grateful for companies like Byheart. Byheart is an infant nutrition company built from the ground up to deliver real innovation on behalf of babies and parents. Their mission is simple, make the best formula in the world. Using the latest in breast milk science, Byheart created a clinically proven, easy to digest infant formula that's made with organic, grass-fed whole milk, certified clean ingredients, and features a patented protein blend that gets closest to breast milk. They're made with certified clean ingredients. It has no soy, corn syrup, GMOs, or palm oil. Curious about Byheart? Redeem your welcome offer at byheart.com forward slash podcast with code crystal for a limited time. Additional terms and conditions apply. So go to byheart.com forward slash podcast and use crystal to get your welcome offer. Welcome to the Crystal Pain Show, where we help you embrace your life right where you are and give you practical steps to get to where you want to go. Whether you are in your car, folding laundry, cooking, cleaning, or maybe even just enjoying a cup of coffee and a few minutes of quiet, we're so glad you're joining us today. Here's your host, wife, mother of four, foster mom, entrepreneur, and author, Crystal Payne. Welcome to another episode of the Crystal Pain Show. We love hearing from you, and we got so many great TV show recommendations after last week's episode. Jesse, we're going to be busy <laughs> with TV shows for, I don't know, maybe the next 50 years. Were they good ones? I haven't seen them. Well, we haven't watched them yet, but there were a lot of very interesting ones that I'm excited to check out. But we kind of have to finish watching how many seasons of yeah, Survivor really. yet. What do we have? How many seasons do we say there were? 40 seasons. And we have so far watched four. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to be. We've got our work cut out. Also, someone told me that there is another season of Amazing Race coming out, I think, at the end of this year. Oh, good. So I'm excited about that. So thank you all for those recommendations. And also, thank you for the reviews that you leave on iTunes. Not only does this make our day, but it also helps get the podcast out to more people. And this one from her name or his name is I Have a Podcast Addiction is Crystal and Jesse bring light and encouragement to my week through this podcast. My only complaint is the episodes are shorter than I'd prefer. They want us to talk more, Jesse. Wow. I mean, I usually don't have a problem with that. And I have my timer here set because I want to respect everyone's time. But if people want me to say more words, I don't think I would have a problem with that. (laughs) Me neither. And I I could use up some of my... Exactly. How many thousands of words? That's why I said me neither. 
Oh, I thought you were saying you wouldn't have a problem with saying more words. And I was like, no, no, no. I wouldn't have a problem with you saying more words. With me saying more of my words on the podcast. Although you're sitting right here, so you're going to have to listen to them regardless. Yeah. Yeah. What's saving your life this week? Well, this week in particular, especially, I've been having some issues with uh, one of the babies sleeping. And we had stopped using snuggle sacks here it's probably a month or so ago. We they been, kind of seemed like they'd yeah, outgrown they'd, them. Outgrown they, were, them and, they would get in them and then they would well, kind of want to get out of them. They would also get really feisty and would somehow finagle and squirm in such a way that their arms would come loose because that's all they want. And it would defeat the purpose of the snuggle sack. But here recently, like within the last week, started using the snuggle sack again and it has been a lifesaver. It's uh, as if they all of a sudden decided, oh, we like to sleep in these. Yeah. And for those who aren't familiar with what a snuggle sack is, it's basically a way to swaddle your baby, but you're not just using a blanket. It's this cool sack that you stick we them can't, in. <laughs> we can't wrap a blanket for the life of us. Caitlin can. She is a master swaddler. <laughs> but you and I, we try no. so hard and they're kicking and, you know, moving their hands and we just, it ends up usually, it's just by the time we get them, quote, swaddled, they've already gotten one arm out or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, But the other thing is you shouldn't really put them in their bed in just a blanket swaddled because they can undo it mm-hmm. and then it could be... Um, suffocation hazard. So the sleep sacks are great because you kind of stick them in this little pouch and then it has, um, two wings, yeah, a wing on either side that have Velcro and then Velcros to the sack. And so you and I can actually snuggle them in these things and they have decided that they like them again. So I guess word to the wise is if you have a baby and they seem to outgrow something, Try it again a few weeks later, and maybe it'll start working again. Yep. And we'll see. Who knows how long this yeah. will last. But we'll, we'll see you next week. We'll link in the show notes to the ones that we've used, and we've used them a lot. We just had a three-week. They just kind of went on strike yep. with them for three weeks, and now they're back to liking them again. Well, you mentioned kind of especially this week that you have appreciated the snuggle sacks, and that's because probably the fact that I've been sick this week. Or maybe not. Maybe it was some other reason. Oh, that's part of it. Not all of it. Part of it. What's the other part? Well, I wasn't sleeping much at night. So, Well, and I wasn't able to really help you a lot because I was the one that was waking you up saying, can you please get me some Advil? Which, when I really thought about what's saving my life this week, it is Advil. And I know, real basic, but I actually came down with a bad case of mastitis on Tuesday. The fever didn't hit till Wednesday. We're recording this on Friday. Um, the last two days, I've pretty much just been in bed, miserable. For those of you who have had mastitis before, it's a beast. I and haven't had it. How? <laughs> I don't know. Can men get mastitis? I have no idea. Men can get breast cancer, so maybe they can get mastitis. But I think that I overdid it this past weekend. We had a great weekend. We did our first little out of town trip and we went to a place near Johnson City, Tennessee to go on a hike mm-hmm. because my sister and her husband 
lived there. I say lived there because they're actually moving this week to another state, which is sad because they won't be quite as close to us, although they're not moving that far. So hopefully we'll still get to see them regularly. But anyway, so we went and we spent time with them and we went on a hike and it was my most strenuous sort of exercise to do for sure since the babies have been born. Well, since Kirsten (laughs) has been born, although technically, technically, yes, because in most strenuous exercise that I've done since I got pregnant Mm -hmm. and I was impressed that you were able to do so well. It was just a two mile hike and it really was, but it was all not both ways. The first way was all uphill and rocky and you had to be careful with your footing. If I had not had a baby eight weeks ago and was not carrying a baby in a baby carrier, Mm -hmm. it would have seemed a piece of cake. I mean, because my sister has two little boys who did it, no problem. But it was just that. And so it added to traveling with babies who were crying on the way back home and it taking six hours instead of four hours because there was road construction, getting home a lot later than we expected, not sleeping very well the night that we stayed over, just all the things. I came home very worn down. And I honestly think that that's what mm-hmm. it was. It was worth it, but it was a good reminder to me that I need to take care of myself. But one interesting thing that happened as a result of getting this, what we were sure was mastitis, I had a high fever. And so we just felt like it would be wise to go in and get a COVID test just to clear the air on that. We were sure that I didn't have coronavirus, but we thought, you know, Caitlin's having a birthday party this weekend and I'm going to be seeing people. We're going to be having people into our home. We just wanted to make sure there were no germs here. So yesterday I went and got a coronavirus test or COVID test and you found a place that was local that had the rapid Mm -hmm. test. So you get the results in 14 minutes. You pull up to the place, you call them, they tell you what number stall to go into. And then the nurse comes out all gowned and masked up and then she swabs your nose, which everybody asked me, was it really painful? I've heard different things from different people. Some people say that it's really painful. Other people have said that it wasn't that bad. Mm -hmm. I think it's probably depends on the person giving the test and how deeply they go into your nose. I've heard some people are pretty aggressive and mm-hmm. sticking that swab up there and really I think, swabbing like they around. They try to touch your brain, isn't it? Is that what I've heard? Um, but I've heard that if they don't stick the swab up high enough, they actually aren't going to get as great of test results. So they need to stick it up really high, mm-hmm. which she stuck it up really high and she, you know, swabbed did, all did around. Because I asked you how it was. You said it wasn't that bad. I didn't, from my vantage point, it didn't look like she went up very high. She did. I mean, it felt like she was. Getting, she was sticking a swab up in places that you should not be sticking a swab up. Do you think the swab into. was going to come up out of your eyeball? No, it felt very high up, but she was gentle. She wasn't yeah. being aggressive about it, and so um, it wasn't that bad. And I felt like I'd prep myself that it would just be horrible. <laughs> and I guess if you compare it to well, the pain that I was in because of mastitis and the pain from the fever, and then you know recently giving birth without medication. Um, you know, it was uncomfortable. It was unpleasant, but it wasn't awful. But all that to say it was negative and they were able to get me on some antibiotics for mastitis. And everybody had told me if you get on antibiotics within 24 hours, you'll be feeling a lot better. And it was crazy because last night I just sweat all night long 
And this morning I woke up and my fever, I still have a little bit of a fever, but I I can actually move. And I wanted to actually sit up in bed and Mm -hmm. do a few things and get up and do this podcast. And I haven't even taken Advil. So I kind of woke up this morning feeling like I was underwater. So that kind of explains I must have been all that sweat. I'm like, I need to drink (laughs) gallons of water today for how much I sweat off last night. I thought I was swimming. (laughs) I'm sorry. We have got to wash all our sheets and I have got to take a shower. I actually waited to wash my hair, even though it's um, two days over because I was like, I just keep sweating. So Advil is what is saving my life because last two days when the pain got really bad and fever got really high, it helped give me some relief. Jesse said, you don't have a book update for us nope. yet, Nope. but I was going to talk about this book that I am reading called Get Out of Your Head, which all of a sudden I was like, oh, great. We were just talking about swaps being stuck up in heads, and now yeah. I'm talking about a book. But this is not about that. This is about stopping the spiral of toxic thoughts. It's by Jenny Allen, and I'm not um, completely finished with it. I'm almost halfway through. But it has been really, really fantastic. And if you struggle with anxiety, if you struggle with insecurity, if you just struggle with getting into kind of that spiral of your thoughts going down into dark places or feeling like you're stuck or just feeling discouraged or overwhelmed, or maybe you don't even realize that you're experiencing these things, I think everyone could benefit from this book. And she gives very practical and balanced perspective. So it's not kind of just, just pray real hard or just read the Bible, but also how to look to God, but then also practical steps that you can take that are backed by science to really help you to change your thought patterns and escape those toxic thinking patterns that can really destroy all aspects of your life. I mean, I feel like toxic thinking patterns can destroy your marriage. Mm-hmm. It can destroy your parenting. It can destroy relationships. Just letting yourself believe lies and then living under those lies and letting those lies become your truths that you live out of. Because that that creates a foundation. And yeah. that's the foundation out of which that you parent or out of which you have your marriage. So if you believe that your spouse doesn't like you or is always unfair or something. And maybe there are some truths to that, but you get stuck in that because of a few things that your spouse did. And that's all that you can think about. And that's all that you just, you know, have your mind go to again and again and again and again, that becomes your truth and kind of the glasses that you see through. Mm -hmm. And then the headphones that you listen through. And so everything that they do is coming through those lenses and those headphones. Mm-hmm. And then you're you're getting a really warped truth mm-hmm. and you're not knowing what is true. And she said, the greatest spiritual battle of our generation is taking place between our ears. Again and again, we allow lies from the enemy to influence our thoughts about who God is and how he is at work in our lives. But we have the opportunity to stop our spiraling minds and escape our toxic thinking patterns. And so if if this is resonating with you in any way, I just would encourage you to get a copy of her book, Get Out of Your Head, Stopping the Spiral of Toxic Thoughts. And again, that's by Jenny Allen, and we will link to that in the show notes. Today's topic 
for the podcast is about raising strong-willed kids. And the inspiration for it came from an email that I got. And I'm not going to share the name of the person who sent the email in case she wanted to um, stay anonymous. But she said, could you share some parenting advice for raising my Enneagram 8 daughter? She is very headstrong and persistent, but has a complete disregard for rules and regularly challenges authority. As an Enneagram 5 and people pleaser, I do not understand the way she thinks. We have gone around and around, and I've tried to get to the heart of the issue. But it seems her bottom line is she is going to do whatever it takes to get what she wants. How do I help channel her perseverance and tenacity in a positive way? She is only eight years old. And I was like, oh, honey, I, oh, I remember being that eight-year-old girl because what she's talking about, that's me. Yeah. That is me. And so I want to share from the perspective of a child who would have been classified as a strong-willed child. And probably I could very well be classified as a strong-willed adult. (laughs) No, really? And I think there's so many things that we could talk about and I don't, we don't have time and space to get into the nitty gritties of things. Although I am going to be delving into a lot of this in my book that's coming out in March um, called Love Centered Parenting. I haven't announced the title anywhere else, so don't tell anybody the title yet, but we're really, really excited about it. And I'm going to just be sharing a lot of things that I have learned about parenting. We'll be talking about it more on the podcast as, as the release date gets closer. But today I wanted to share more about just kind of the overall approach and mindset. It kind of goes along with us talking about getting out of your head and just how your mindset and what happens between your two ears and how you approach parenting can really change the way that you parent. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate this woman and her heart for her daughter and her heart for wanting to say, this isn't working. And hard to understand her daughter to realize she is an eight and to realize where this is coming from because of how she's wired. And to realize I don't get this. Mm -hmm. This is so different than how I'm wired. And Jesse, you're an Enneagram five. So you, Mm -hmm. you can understand probably her frustration of dealing with an Enneagram eight wife. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and one thing I keyed in on was when she said that she doesn't honor rules. Well, and I ask you as an eight rules are more constrictive Would that be correct? We don't want anybody to put us in a box. Right. And so a quote unquote rule basically in effect puts you in that box. And I think in in your mind, a rule is meant to be broken. I don't want somebody to tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think of just simple things like if someone were to tell me, I need you to write a post on such and such as Mm -hmm. a blogger, I don't want to do it. I have instantly been like, no, uh -uh." you can give me a basic general idea. Mm -hmm. But if you're kind of saying, this is exactly what I need you to write. Mm -hmm. I think of even just what, with my book launches with a big magazine asking for a, an article on a very specific topic and they had very specific parameters that just makes me miserable. Yeah. Because it's not your creativity. It's somebody else's desire placed upon you and you do well being creative on your own. And, you know, I think that there is good in that, but there's also me recognizing, you know, when you're eight, you don't, you can't really have this conversation. You have to kind of grow up some before Mm -hmm. you can realize, oh, I need to, in certain situations, place myself under 
right. people. Well, that also, is a healthy thing. Also, when you're eight, you can't don't really have the ability to communicate exactly how you're feeling. It just comes out sideways. Yes. So I just wanted to share some things that I feel like as a parent who is parenting an eight, which we also believe that we have an eight. Please, at if, our if house. you're listening to this podcast, please pray for me. <laughs> We also believe that one of our daughters is an eight. We we don't want to box them in. See, I think that's also my yeah, thing is that's true. I don't like to box other people in as well. Right. Because I'm like, I don't want to be boxed in. So don't, you know, I don't want to box other people in. But I think that it can give you some kind of guidelines, mm-hmm. some basic general idea. There are some things when it comes to the Enneagram eight that I don't relate to as much. Mm-hmm. For the most part, I relate to a lot of it. But at first when I was, you know, told that I was an eight, um, I was like, you, you got to mm-hmm. be kidding me. I am not an eight. And, and that's it was, how an eight responds. Yes. That, you know, someone's an eight if they respond with great pushback to someone else's. I'm my, own, I'm my own individual. Yeah. So let's talk about just some basic encouragements that I would give to this mom. Some things that I'm working on as a, someone who is parenting a child who is an eight. First off, I think it's important that you see this as a blessing. Mm-hmm. I think you got to change your mindset and see that this strong personality, this drive, this, this independent, I'm trying to think of, of a way to say it, but this desire for, you know, doing it on their own and wanting to kind of be out there leading the pack and uh, making decisions and figuring things out, it can be a really good thing. Mm-hmm. And I look at Money Saving Mom and your blogging mentor and the success of those. And I know that my strong personality has really been the driving force behind that success. Right. It's also the grace of God and hard work and all of that. But if I didn't have that persistence, I do not believe that I would be where I am today. Right. And so see it as a blessing. I would also encourage you not to label your child. I think that it's okay to say, you know, it's kind of like we said, we think one of our daughters is an Enneagram 8, and that's been really helpful for us to understand them better. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But I also think there is danger in putting negative labels mm-hmm. on your kids. Because then, I mean, it's just like what we were, what you're talking about in Get Out of Your Head. Then they start living out of those negative labels. And, and yeah, or also it really, really drives them nuts or makes them feel shame mm-hmm. or makes them feel like they're not who you wish that they would be. And they can feel rejected from that. And so labels like my stubborn child, my strong-willed child. You know, we we titled this podcast episode Raising a Strong-Willed Child because I think so many parents can relate to that. But I would encourage you not to use that label for your child. Because I think that even if you feel like, well, I never say it around them, they will pick up on the undertones of... Or even if you're saying, I'm not saying it in a negative way your child will take it as a negative way because you're usually saying that in response to some kind of argument or rebellion or however you want to term the conflict that's going on between you two. 
So see it as a blessing. The second thing I would encourage people to do is to study personality types. And it sounds like this woman has done that. And I really appreciate that. I think there is so much benefit in studying the personality types. Anne Bogle has a great book that's kind of a just starter, dip your toe in the water book for personality typings. And it is called Reading People. And she goes through Enneagram. She talks about HSP. She talks about um, the Myers-Briggs and some other personality typing systems that can be really helpful to you to just get an overall idea of you know your children and how they are wired. And to recognize that this is the way that they're wired. You know, mm-hmm. I think that if you see your child as they're just being so disobedient and rebellious, instead of recognizing, you know, this is something that we need to shape and something that we need to talk about and something that we need to work on and, you know, help kind of nurture in a great direction. But don't try to break mm-hmm. them of something that God has wired them with. And honestly, it wasn't until. I started understanding that, that my relationships with my children changed. And there were certain characteristics that I became very angry about. And that's something that I had to work on, on, on my own. But then when I understood, oh, that there's a propensity to this certain behavior that it's not really negative, so I shouldn't really be angry about it. It totally changed our relationship. And one thing that I would just say as kind of a word of caution, when you study the personality types, don't instantly try to fit all your kids Mm -hmm. into, you know, oh, they're this, 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 and this, like you're labeling them. Use it as a tool, but don't make it as a prison for them. Mm -hmm. And this is my Enneagram 8 talking right now. But I just feel like there's danger when you expect them to respond a certain way always, all the time, because, oh, well, you're this. So why are you acting like that? You're an Enneagram 8. You should be responding like this. You know, every person is not going to fit perfectly into this one typing and always respond that way. And so it's just a general overarching kind of this is how they are wired. The third thing that I would encourage you to do is to celebrate their strengths. And we mm-hmm. talked about this a little bit when you see it as a blessing, but I think take this even further in that you speak life into these gifts because they are gifts. So when you see your strong child doing something that takes a whole lot of persistence and that requires a whole lot of determination and you see them pushing through Call that out to them. Say to them, wow, look at you. You worked so hard on that. Or I just can't believe how much you pushed through and that had to be really hard. Start calling that out Mm -hmm. and nurturing it in a positive direction. And, you know, sometimes their big personality can be a little bit overwhelming. But if you see it as a long-term this diligence and persistence and determination is going to take them really far if you channel it in a good direction. And speaking words of life and celebrating their strengths is one of the best ways to help channel that into a good direction. I mean, I think if you are constantly trying to squelch and squash how they are wired, it's going to be really detrimental to them. And they're, and it probably it's going to come out then in a really destructive mm-hmm. sort of way. And yet if you channel it 
in this positive thing and you speak life and you call out their strengths, that's going to make them want to rise up mm-hmm. and continue to live into what you've spoken into them. Finally, say yes as often as possible. And this can be really hard. I think of you, Jesse, you know, with the Enneagram 5 personality of you like to research, you like to really make sure you've done your due diligence. Mm -hmm. And my personality is make quick decisions Mm -hmm. and go for it. And that can create good tension because I need someone holding me back and you need someone pulling you forward. But I think when you're a child, As someone who has this strong drive, if your parents are constantly saying no to your ideas, it can really be discouraging. Mm -hmm. And I know oftentimes we say no because it's easier to say no. When we say yes, yes, there will probably be messes. There will be mistakes. We will have to make sacrifices because we might have to go drive to the store and get supplies. We might have to take our children some places. It might cause us to have to step outside our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. But when you say yes, as often as possible, you are helping your child to have opportunity to practice for the future, to try new things, to Mm -hmm. experiment. And also, I think, to get out some of their energy. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people don't realize with Enneagram 8s in particular is we have a very high capacity. I need to be doing a lot. I get bored very easily. And when I get bored, I feel blah and depressed and it's not life-giving to me. So if a parent would be constantly saying, no, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Just out of their own kind of fear or not wanting to step outside their comfort zone or just because it's easier or they don't want to really make sacrifices, it's going to really squelch an Enneagram 8's personality. Mm -hmm. And so say yes. Here's the thing. You know what? Your child is probably going to make some big mistakes. But when they're eight years old, let's say that they want to set up a lemonade stand down at the end of the road and you're thinking, you know what? We have almost zero traffic. and nobody's going to come, but you support them and you say, okay, we're going to go to the store. We're going to buy the lemonade. I want you to set a budget. I want you to figure out how much this is going to cost. Maybe you, they chip in on some of the money and all of that. And then maybe it flops. Oh, well, like what's the worst thing that Mm -hmm. could happen in that situation? They're discouraged because it didn't succeed. But they will learn from it. And then you can say, hey, what did you learn from this situation? What can we do differently next time that could make it more successful? Let's talk about this. But you just keep a really positive approach to it. It's not going to hurt anybody. And they're going to learn things when they're young through jumping out and doing their probably what seems to you crazy ideas, because I feel like mm-hmm. Enneagram 8s, we, we're just full of crazy ideas. That's how our brain is wired. But they're going to learn so that hopefully when they're an adult, they've made the mistakes when they were younger. That's going to save them a lot of um, struggle and stress and probably financial destruction. Mm -hmm. And also maybe, you know, other types of, you know, I was just thinking I would rather my child have these small failures when they're a child to save them from the big failures when they're adult. And and obviously we can't completely 
save them from that or anything. But well, what I was thinking was you have a great opportunity to fail in a controlled environment. And because you fail in a controlled environment, you can help define what failure is Mm -hmm. and speak into what is failure. And actually that failure is not a bad thing. Failure is a good thing. Failure means you can learn a lot of lessons from it and try something new later Mm -hmm. and succeed. Well, and I think if they've had those experiences as a child and you haven't protected them from failure, it is going to give them a strong foundation for when they get older and there are going to be hard times and they are going to fail at things and they're going to look back and be like, you know what? But it was okay back then. Mm -hmm. And my mom was there for me and she walked with me and I learned from that. And so in the future, I can learn from this, you know, where I'm at right now, I can learn from this as well. And conversely, if you don't allow that to happen, you don't allow your kids to fail. You don't allow your kids to make mistakes. When they do step out on their own and fail and make mistakes, they're going to fall flat on their head or flat on their face. And it's, it's going to be very traumatic. Probably they're just going to end up being devastated because they've never experienced that feeling of failure. Mm-hmm. And it'll, they will define failure as a negative, mm. not as a positive. So those are just a few thoughts that we have. I have so much more that I could share, but I hope that that was insightful and maybe helps you as you approach raising your strong, not strong will, just strong child. Let's change it to that, okay? Because I feel like strong child, to me, that seems like a very positive thing. And it's something that we can really nurture into um, helping our kids go out and launch them into the world to be not only successful, but to be world changers which I feel like Enneagram 8s have so much persistence and drive that they can go out and do really amazing things. If you have thoughts or input or other questions that you would love for us to explore on future episodes of the podcast, send us an email. We love hearing from you. My email address is crystal at moneysavingmom.com. And we will see you back next week when we're going to be talking about our favorite games to play as a family. Thank you for joining us today. For more great resources, please visit crystalpain.com. 